Thank you for listening to Namat's Movie Reviews Podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. I need to tell Wilson about everything. It's getting closer every day now. It's not even at the bars and the clubs like it used to be. Hello? Are you okay? What could he do? You come with me. Hello, Wilson. You're having a panic attack, okay? I know this is scary, but it's not gonna last. I hate the way I am. Well, I like the way you are. I fought it off and we were doing okay. But he came back. We know it was him. I'm gonna find him. Okay. You wanna fight our stalker? You say you wanna become like me. I'm not sure you actually want that. But I love you. And we will try. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 454. Out Now is When I Consume You, a psychological horror thriller that focuses on a lonely man and his sister who swear revenge against a dark demonic force that has plagued their lives. A gritty urban horror that features haunting performances from its cast and delves into issues of loneliness, mental health, and the curse of addiction. When I Consume You is also the latest film from writer and director Perry Blackshear, who I'm glad to say joins me now on the podcast. Perry, how are you today? Good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. You know, it's really interesting watching um, your movie very recently, actually. And it is a film, like I said in my intro, has deals with things such as loneliness and, and mental health, but it also has this really strong kind of supernatural element to it. And I'm just really curious, when it comes to, when you first kind of conceived the idea for your film, what kind of comes first? Were you thinking into making a supernatural horror film or does the themes kind of like just kind of converge into that kind of element and you just go along with it? I think it definitely starts, uh, I was actually just talking about this. I, you know, I forget what's that psychological phenomenon where you like, make a decision and then justify it after the fact based on right. some sort of instinct. <laughs> so a lot of this was wanting to work with the same cast and crew again, um, because uh, they're my colleagues and I love them and we make films together. So part of it came from wanting to build a story that they could star in, uh, Evan and McLeod and, and now Libby. 
Um, uh, I think in, in retrospect, a lot of it came from um, this idea that a lot of what my people that I love and I are going through now as we get closer to 40 um, is going through almost like a second uh, coming of age <laughs> where you grow, you know, you grow up a certain way, you have these ways of dealing with the world, but then maybe you start to have kids of your own or things begin to change and you realize that you can't be the same way you used to be anymore. Uh, and about what it's like going through that, like changing kind of who you are and if changing who you are destroys who you are. Um, and usually this happens because you're in some terrible situation. Uh, and you're sort of forced to change. And I wanted to do a story about um, people that were really lost uh, that have to sort of crawl their way out and have to change as a re and have to change. And if they can hold on to their soul while while changing, uh, you know, to undergo this real crucible that they go through. The word you just said there, soul, really interesting. I was listening to an interview uh, you did for this film um, previously, and you talked about something called a soul wound. Um, in regards to, um, you know, when people say they're battling their demons, whether it be in a kind of like a supernatural or psychological or, or any other type of element, usually the demon isn't the, the problem. The demon exploits the problem. There's something already kind of like marked in, on your soul. And I don't know, one of my favorite movies is um, The Exorcist. And I don't know if you've ever seen the, um, the um, uh, director's cut that came out like 20 years ago or so. Mm -hmm. And there's a scene in where the two priests are talking, and one priest is like says to the other, "Why, why this girl?" And the other priest says something in, in a in a vein of, "You know, it's there to make us despair, to make us think that we're animal and, and we we can't feel God's love." And I found that to be something that was really kind of per, per, um, really interesting in regards to your film because here are these people that gone through a really kind of traumatic kind of experience, and that kind of wound in their soul kind of like manifests this thing that they're dealing with, isn't it? Yeah, I think the the soul wound is a concept I love because I think, I mean, addiction is a funny thing. There's, it's so it's such a complicated big topic, but um, th there's one train of thought that, that's basically like addictions are there to, uh, and for some people it's a way to protect you because without whatever you're seeking, it's just too being you normally is too unbearable to deal with and by getting hooked on whatever you're hooked on is an escape from yourself that sort of helps you survive through stuff um but this idea that whatever whatever darkness you have inside you or whatever things you know about yourself and then this other entity can come through and be like okay this one's already struggling it's it's this is going to be this is going to be easy to sort of um you know to latch on here that that really that really scared me i think i i films it's funny it's it's a little bit like writing a film like this is sort of trying to transcribe nightmares mm -hmm. and then you only realize later you know you kind of think about what they're about maybe and you know give it your best shot uh yeah the matt's movie reviews podcast is brought to you by t public t public is the world's largest marketplace for independent creators to sell their work on the highest quality merchandise with over 1.2 million designs, Tee Public is sure to have something you love. 
it's really interesting as well that your two main main actors, Libby um, Ewing and Evan Dumichel, I think uh, last pronounce every surname. Yeah. Um, you, you they actually did rehearse um, kind of like your script in the, in, a, in, a, in kind of like a stage play. I, I know about that, but what about in regards to backstory for their characters? We know that these mm-hmm. characters went through a trauma as children. Did you guys work on a backstory as to what trauma they went through that that you know it isn't on the screen, but something that they know within themselves that kind of really strengthened their the background of of their characters? Yeah, we we definitely we did. You know, we this stuff's important to me and to them because people that we've loved have gone through stuff like this. So to try to make it uh specific and also do our do our diligence with it all to make sure that we're representing you know the psychological effects of certain kinds of childhoods uh without being exploitative and without um rubbing people's face in it i think that was one of our goals because i think it can turn exploitative quickly um i think in our minds it was a lot of uh psychological manipulation and sort of, uh, you know, what we hoped is people would understand some of what they went through kind of through echolocation, seeing the way they react to certain threats uh, and sort of work backwards from there. Um, you know, Libby's way or Daphne's way of confronting threats is by hitting it five times as hard as you get hit. And Wilson's is to hide in the corner and hope everybody just leaves you alone. Um, we, Evan and I talked about Wilson as sort of like a dog that's been kicked so much that mm-hmm. it just is just ready to always be kicked, um, and assumes it will get kicked and what that does to how people react to you. Um, so yeah, I mean, this stuff mattered to us and we, you know, I also have people, my people that I love that work in the mental health field. So, um, without being, uh, I don't know, exploitative of it, we wanted to take it seriously and do it right. Another thing that's really kind of grabbed my attention is the use of symbology and ritual in the movie. There are little, there are little moments like, for example, there's a Zippo lighter that has kind of like a, a symbol on it. There's a tattoo. There's a book with all sorts of kind of writings and such in there. That kind of stuff. Do you kind of create your own kind of like background mythology or theology that kind of like is kind of like lurking in the background at all times in, in your movie? I think it's interesting because the uh, the the little thing on the lighter was the tree of life that we found somewhere and there's lots of little kind of easter eggs we put in there um we debated and i debated within myself clicking into some kind of well-known demonology system um you know many of these movies are about the devil i think when i was sort of conceiving of the idea this idea of a personal family demon a a sort of monster that the scariest thing to me was the idea of this personal monster that actually could be defeated, but you can't defeat it. Not because it's undefeatable, but because you're you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was so fucked up. <laughs> and we started to work, McLeod and I worked together and and talking about the character. And he had this way of talking that was sort of gentle there was kind of like someone that was going to radicalize you. Yeah. Uh, you know, someone sort of being like, you are fucked up in a terrible, miserable thing, but I'm going to save you. And this is all for your own good. And something about that was so upsetting that we just wanted to lean into that 
and have this monster be kind of like the outgrowth of all the things that Wilson and Daphne hate about themselves and the way that they were raised and the sort of embodiment of the voice that we all sort of have. Well, I mean, maybe some people don't have it, but the voice in your head that, you know, says terrible things about you and you, you know, you try to sort of fight back. Um, that's the stuff I care about. And that's sort of the direction uh, we ended up going. And what I really love about the film as well is that other movies that might deal with the same type of supernatural elements, as you said before, might be on the nose in, in regards to, you know, the, the theology or anything else. The ambiguity that you have in your movie, the things that keep having us guessing, um, I like that a lot because it kind of, when you ask questions, you can kind of delve into your own kind of experiences and then kind of like add that to like a film. And I love it when films do that. I'm sure that's something that uh, maybe you as a film fan love as well. No doubt you want to approach in your own movie. Yeah. I mean, I think I've, I've mentioned this in some other podcasts, but uh, Mike Flanagan's Absentia was this enormous sort of revelatory experience for me. Um, and that movie was so frightening, but it was, but it was, the act of putting little sort of <laughs> it's almost like he reached through the screen and placed little demons in your brain and they mm. weren't ever on the screen but there's i don't know have you seen that film i haven't no oh my gosh it's his first it's i mean i love his work and he's sort of been a mentor to me but um there's a moment where a guy you think is dead has sort of come back from you don't know where and you think it might be hell and he's so traumatized and someone's talking about um, uh, the troll that lives under the bridge. And he sort of has this look and it's like, it's not like that at all. It's more like a silverfish. And he just starts describing something. And I just wanted to kind of crawl into the wall. And they talk about how hell is of your own making and how it's like where dark matter goes and the sort of permanence. I don't know. It, it was all in my head. And I couldn't stop thinking about it afterwards. And I think it was like <laughs> when it's on screen in some ways, it's like safe because it's there and you can see it and it's just a person in makeup or something. But when it, you can't, it's very, to me, that's the most frightening thing. It's like when it, when it's in your brain. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think what um, when I consume it does, it really does have that element to it, but it's also a film that I think has a, such an incredibly uplifting uh, element to it as well, which might seem seem weird uh, for people who might see the trailer <laughs> and such. But um, but all I, all I got to say, I don't want to give away too much. But all, all I want to say is that this is a film that really kind of um, took me in all types of different directions, emotionally and spiritually and such. And I think that's a really great marker of of a great film and, and great work from yourself as well, Perry. And I I thank you so very much for your time and everyone listening. You can watch When I Could Sue Me, available now on Video On Demand. I really recommend check this film out, everyone can, because it's great um, indie horror filmmaking shot in Brooklyn. Uh, the the locations are terrific. The performances are terrific as well, and the things that are universal. I think everyone can really appreciate it. So, Perry, uh, thank you so much for your time today. I know you're a busy man, and um, congrats with the movie. Thanks so much, man.